0: Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18. As we continue our study through the book of Proverbs, we finished a couple of weeks ago our series of conversations between the Father and the Son in chapters 1 through 9, and then transitioned last week uh, to addressing the most significant topics in the latter chapters of Proverbs. And we'll be doing that, Lord willing, all the way through July. Last week, we looked at the issue of words... And this morning, we're going to talk about what God has to say about friends. You need friends. And the Bible has a lot to say about the friends that you need and the significance of those friends in your life and the influence they have. I look forward to talking really about this beautiful topic with you. It's so interesting, as I was studying this week, So I was reading and had a couple of books I was reading about friends and had just been immersing myself in those latter chapters of Proverbs, just looking for any verse that had to do with friends. Uh, A little news story uh, popped up on my news feed. It was from this week. The U.S. Surgeon General, uh, Vivek Murphy, made a statement about a new epidemic that's causing incredible harm uh, in the United States. I normally probably wouldn't have clicked on that story, uh, but When it said what the epidemic was, my first thought was, why does the U.S. Surgeon General care about this? It seems like something that wasn't exactly their issue or exactly their area. But the epidemic he was talking about was the epidemic of loneliness and isolation. Why why would the Surgeon General be thinking about loneliness and, and isolation? And this is the reason why. Let me read you this statement. This is exactly what he said this week. Research shows that loneliness and isolation are associated with a greater risk, listen to this, of heart disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. In fact, lacking connection, you won't believe this line, lacking connection can increase the risk of premature death to the levels comparable to smoking every day. Loneliness and social isolation are also far more common than we might realize. About one in two adults in America report experiencing loneliness. This widespread disconnection presents profound threats to our health and well-being. Social connection, listen to this line, social connection is as fundamental to our mental and physical health as food, water, and sleep. I'm going to say it again social connection is as fundamental to our mental and physical health as food water and sleep by strengthening our relationships by strengthening our relationships we can improve our heart and brain health reduce our risk of diabetes and high blood pressure and boost our immune system and lower the risk of depression one of my favorite things in the world is when some scientist says something in a way that sounds utterly profound that is something we knew 3,000 years ago from the word of God. That's exactly what just happened. Is They're noticing this epidemic. They're noticing this isolation and loneliness that people are experiencing. And they're noticing the connection between that and mental health and that and physical health and that and spiritual health and they're starting to make direct connections between premature death and heart disease and diabetes and depression all a result of relational isolation. You see in that one statement what the surgeon general proved is what we have known exactly from Proverbs 18 verse 1. Look at that verse in Proverbs 18:1, Solomon writing 3,000 years ago, said this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. That word isolates there means someone who separates himself from their friends, separates themselves from their family, or separates himself from their community. This is interesting because it's a decision that this person made. Look at that. Whoever isolates himself, whoever chooses to separate from friends and family and community, whoever chooses to live life without deep and meaningful relationships. Now, a lot of people would say that this verse probably has its greatest meaning within the context of the community of believers. That the person who isolates themselves from the community of believers, the one who isolates himself from the church, is finding themselves in incredible danger because God has created the church as the place in which these relationships are most often formed. Not just friendships, but the meaningful, godly, honest friendships that we also desperately need. But it's not just relationships in the church. When it says that a man isolates himself, it's someone who avoids people and relationships and maybe stays in their home or stays in their room and just stays to themselves. Look at what it says. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He is not seeking that which is good. He is not seeking that which is best. He is not seeking that which is wise. He is not seeking that which God has said over and over is necessary to a life that flourishes But he is driven by his own pride or her own pride, driven by anxiety, driven by the walls that we have put up, driven by fears, driven by selfish desires. And then this line is incredibly powerful. Look at this. Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. What that means is you take everything that God has said is good, Everything that God has said is right. Everything that God has said is wise. Everything about the journey that God has called us into with Jesus. Everything about the way in which we thrive mentally and morally and physically and spiritually. You take everything that God has called us to and the person who isolates himself breaks out against all of that. It is to make a decision to go against everything that God says about a life that is good and a life that is right and a life that thrives and a life in which we experience the fullness of everything that God has created us for and saved us for. The person that isolates himself experiences all of the practical and physical and moral and spiritual and emotional dysfunction that comes with being separated from God and separated from the people that God has called us to live life with. So essentially, this profound statement from the U.S. Surgeon General was simply some scientific evidence of exactly what Solomon said. If you choose to live in isolation without close friendships, then you go against everything that God said is good and all of the physical, practical, moral, and spiritual goodness that God has to offer. I remember the first time, I remember vividly where I was sitting the first time that this verse came to my attention. It was just a few years ago, so I'm certain I had read this verse many times, but you know how there's a verse you can read over and over, but it's not until somebody tells it to you in a story that you remember it. I had a friend from elementary school that I've kept with, and his wife was a friend of mine, and I loved them dearly. They got married pretty young right after college and went on the mission field. This is a guy I really respect. They have six children. And I just feel like my whole life, he's always been ahead of me. He got married before I did, and he had kids before I did. He was emotionally, spiritually, in every way ahead of me. He was just ahead of me. We're the exact same age, but he was much more mature than I was in every way. And I I would often call him for advice, and particularly when it came to having children, because I was having children, and I thought about this family. And you know how there's that couple out there that they appear to just, like, they've got it figured out? where you don't have anything figured out, they've got it figured out. And the reality is they don't know anything either. They just look like they have it figured out, but you know that couple. But they really did do things right. They loved their kids, they, they did family worship, like all the things you're supposed to do, they did. And so I really admired them, but the context of our conversation was, was a little heavy. He had come back to the States Because he was coming back to visit two of their children who had left the mission field and who had come back to the States to go to college, both of them not walking with the Lord. And not just quietly or subtly, but had completely walked away from the things of God and were causing an incredible mess on their life and the mess in the lives of many other people. And he was broken. I wanted to be careful how I had this conversation. I asked him a question that I'm only asking him because we're such good friends. But I said, do you have any reason why? And I have to be careful with this question because listen, sometimes kids just rebel and parents don't need to feel all the weight and all the guilt of that. Sometimes there's a lot of dysfunction in the home. Sometimes there's not. You've heard the old phrase that there was only one perfect parent and both of his kids rebelled. That's God. And Adam and Eve rebelled. God did everything right and they rebelled. And so sometimes kids just choose to walk their own way. And that's why you have Proverbs, a father who is begging his child to walk in the way of wisdom, knowing that he might make a decision not to do that. But I said, do you have any reason why this might be? So there's one thing that I've thought of over and over again. He said, we were kind of a launching point for missionaries. And so we were raising up missionaries. And because of that, a lot of people from the States were coming over to minister with them. And we would send them out on these trekking trips to unreached peoples. And they lived in this big kind of farm area, in a rural area. And they were just sending people out. And so he said, every year, to scores of people would come and visit us. It was great for my kids because my kids loved them. And they just really loved on my kids. He said, but I, I think they started to feel sorry for my kids. Uh, their kids had this terrible, terrible thing happen where they had to entertain themselves by just playing outside. I can't even, I don't know. Don't you feel sorry for him? And he said, so what would happen is they would come over and they would have devices with them. They would have iPads and phones. And because they felt sorry for my kids, they would think they were blessing them and they would leave them. Here's what he said. He said, I don't think that what they saw on those devices are what affected them. We watched that. We knew about this. But the moment they got devices, they isolated themselves. So all the family was doing something, but they weren't doing something. They they stayed in their room. They, They did their own thing. And I saw a distinct disconnect in our family the moment that they got these devices because it was them and the device and not them and the family or the community. And then he quoted a verse that I don't think I'd ever heard before. A man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, and goes against all sound judgment. Because you were created in God's image to have these relationships. You were created for community and relational connection. You know, one of the greatest rebukes on Jesus by the religious leaders was that Jesus was a friend of sinners, And it's so interesting because in their attempt to make Jesus look bad, they elevated something about the character of God, which may be one of the most beautiful things for us to know. Is that God loves to be friends with us. God loves to be friends with us. He has created us for friendship. He has not simply created us to work for him. He's created us because he loves us and he longs for us. And God wants friendship with us. And what they noticed about Jesus was not just his preaching to the masses and his navigating the crowds and the miracles to those that he saw from time to time. They noticed that there was something intentional about Jesus, that he put priority upon spending time and and eating meals and, and going deeper into relationships with people who were sinners And the reason that's important for us is because that shows us the character of God himself. What we see in Jesus befriending sinners, I'm going to say something here, and I'll justify this at the end of our time together. Jesus needed friends. If Jesus was not in the community and friendship with God as he isolated himself to spend time with the Lord, he was then in community and friendship with other people. And he needed that intimacy that he had with the Father and the Spirit, that friendship that he enjoyed for all of eternity past. But Jesus needed friends. In the same way, God is saying that he has created us in his image for friendship. This is in our DNA. And this is one of the beautiful things about the gospel. You can see this many places in scripture, but maybe most clearly in Ephesians chapter 2 when it tells us about the idea that Jesus has come to reconcile us. So what that means is that we are created with friendship from God, but in the same way, listen to me, in the same way that sin and hidden things will destroy the relationships with those you love, the way that sin and things that you hide will destroy the relationship with your spouse or a friend, so it is that that sin separates us from God. It is impossible for us to have friendship with God when sin is in the way. So Jesus came through his death, burial, and resurrection to take upon himself our sin and give us his righteousness so that we could be, listen, friends with God. John 15, Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends. What Ephesians 2 tells us is this, because of sin, our relationship with each other has been broken. It is impossible for us to have real intimate friendships and relationships or good marriages when we're broken in our sin. And so Jesus Christ has come to not only tear down the dividing wall of hostility, Ephesians 2, between us and God, but to tear down the dividing wall of hostility between us. So that because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is possible for us to know each other and be known by each other to love one another and to have relationships that can only be formed through the power of the gospel. So listen, God created you for friendship. And Listen to this, and God saved you for friendship. Jesus died that you might have friendship with him and friendship with each other. There may be no place that gives us more practical instruction on that than the book of Proverbs. It's often called a treaty on, on friendship. From the very beginning to the very end, it gives us incredible insight. And simply what it tells us is this, you need friends. And here's the kind of friends you need. Let me tell you three things that it tells us about the fact that you need friends and the kind of friends you need. The first one is this, you need, listen carefully, write this down, you need close friends. You need close friends. So it says in Proverbs 18.1 that you need friends. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So oftentimes our isolation is a choice that we make. Maybe because of our pride. Maybe because we hide. Maybe because of our shame. Maybe because of our laziness. It goes against everything that is good. You need friends. But look at the last verse of 18. It tells you what kind of friends you need. Verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin. Every word in there matters. A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now we often take that as a reference to Jesus. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than the brother. Certainly we can make that connection, but I do not believe that was Solomon's primary intention in this verse. Because he began this chapter and ended this chapter with a statement on our need for friendship. And if you just take that verse as only being about Jesus, then you will not see that verse about your need for close friends, which is exactly what it's about. And we will see in a minute, I'm going to say something here, you're not going to believe, I'll see in a minute, why your friendship with Jesus is not even enough. Look what it says, it says, a man of many companions, then it says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than her brother. So kind of just the the primary point there is that a a few close friends are better than a lot of casual friends. A few close friends are better than a, a lot of casual friends. One of the things I've loved the most about living in Oconee County, so we grew up in Atlanta and were in large churches, Andrew and I both, and knew a lot of people. And Uh, Then we went to Dallas, Texas, and we were there for 11 years, and we're in a good-sized church and knew a lot of people. We lived a mile from the church, and so everywhere we went, we were close to the church. And because of just the density of population, we never saw anyone that we knew. Like, it, it was a rare thing to run into anyone. And then we moved to Oconee County, Georgia. And I think because of my relationship to the church and my relationship to the school that we have, we cannot go anywhere without seeing people we know. The other day, I was walking from my car into Chick-fil-A, and I was walking through the cars at the drive-thru, and two people honked at me. I thought I did something wrong. They were just waving real big. <laughs> Yesterday, I was at Veterans Park for a, a soccer game. That's why my face looks like this, so i was got a little too much sun. So just out there a soccer game, I saw 37 people that said hi to me and that I knew. Half of them I knew as well. I love to walk. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite things to do. You just go, hey, good to see you, brother. You know, so... Um, I love to walk. It's one of my favorite things to do. So I just, I walk every day and, uh, sometimes I'll find some different places to walk. But what happens to me every time I walk is I'll take about 30 steps and someone will stop in their car and say, Hey, Pastor Josh, I've been meaning to tell you about so-and-so and praise God. I love it. I'm so glad we get to have those conversations. I am trying to walk, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just good to see people. And I will tell you, like, it's one of the greatest joys of my life. It's so much fun. Like, it is so much fun going to Dollar General, and, you know, you still got like, pajama pants on, and, hey, Pastor Josh, hey, like, I love it. It's so great. It brings a lot of joy. Like, I'm not kidding. I really love it. But it says that that, that kind of thing may lead to ruin. And that word ruin is a word that means to be shattered or broken into pieces, It's often used to refer to a branch of a tree that looks solid, but if you were to put weight on it, it's going to fall. And the reason that it says someone who has many companions may lead to ruin is not that it's bad to have many companions. That's a wonderful thing. It's great to be known in the community. I love that about the church where God has called me to pastor. But the reason it may lead to ruin is if somehow you think all of those companions take the place of a few close friends. If somehow you think just because people know you and they see you and they say hey to you and just because you know everybody in this county or the next county, the reason that may lead you to ruin is because that does not take the place of people who know you and people who you know, people whom you love and people who are intimately aware of what's going on in your life. That's why it may ruin you. So he gives this warning not to diminish the beauty of companions but to know the temptation to live in such a way, but then to stop and say, do I really have any close friends that know me well? So Proverbs 16.28 says, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisper separates close friends. Proverbs 17.9 says, whoever covers offense seeks love, but he who repeats matters separates close friends. And so here it is in the end of 24, but there is a friend who sticks close, a friend who is not like that branch that looks stable, but when you pull upon it, it's, it falls down. This is a friend who is, who is faithful and who is aware and who is reliable, who is close to you, committed to you. Do you have some of those friends? You have a few people in your life who are that kind of faithful and reliable and committed to you. And even the word right there, friend, listen to this, it's a word that's often translated in the Old Testament, beloved, someone you love. We get weird about friendships here, but it is someone you love and someone who loves you, someone you're so committed to, you would do anything for. That's the kind of friends that God has called us to have. Drew Hunter wrote a book called Made for Friendship. It's a wonderful book. He has a chapter called The Edenic Ache." Edenic meaning an ache that we have from Eden. Something that God created us for, but something that we have lost, and therefore our hearts ache for it. It's the ache that we have for intimacy with God. It's the ache that we have for oneness. And he says part of the ache that we have from the Garden of Eden is an ache that we received, listen, not as a result of sin, but before sin, and it's the ache for close friends. He goes on to say in Genesis 1, five times it says, God looked at something and it was good. He, he saw the skies separated uh, and he said it was good and he saw the water and the earth separated and it was good and he saw the vegetation, and it was good. He, he saw the animals and all that was good. Everything was good. And then in Genesis two eighteen God looks at something, listen, before the fall, when life was as good as it could ever be. And he says, there's something not good. I had never thought about the significance of the timing of that statement until this week that we always think of Genesis one and two and everything there is perfect. This is life as it was meant to be, but there was something not good. And what was not good is that Adam was alone. Now there is something here and I should have saved this for next week on Mother's Day, but there is something here about the dignity and value and beauty of God's creation of women because God who desired to display his glory and his image through the creation of humanity when he saw man alone knew that he could not fully display his glory without woman ladies you need to know your value and your worth God looked at Adam and said there is no way he could pull this off alone that's what he said He needs a helper, the same word used for the way in which the Holy Spirit comes and helps us. He did not have a chance of pulling this off on his own. He needs someone else. And there was an emptiness and a void before the woman was there. So ladies, please feel that, that affirmation of your worth and your value in the eyes of God. But there's something more basic than that. It's not just a verse about marriage. It couldn't be because then that statement would mean nothing for those of you who are not married. The more simplistic point there is that it's not good for anybody to be alone. It's not good for anyone to be alone. It's exactly what Proverbs 18.1 is saying, that we were created for relationship with people. And here's the thing that hit me this week. We use this phrase a lot. We love this phrase. We say, Jesus is enough. And we say it because it's a helpful correction to this idea that we need a thousand other things in our life to make us happy. And we say, no, Jesus is sufficient But let me say something that I hope is not quoted out of context. But in the context of Genesis 1 and 2, Jesus was not enough for Adam. He also needed friends. Because he had a perfect relationship with Jesus. But he did not have a friend. And I want to say to you that that Jesus is enough, but but he's not all you need. You you need friends. You you have to have a relationship with Jesus and you have to have friends. Friends. Because God has created us in such a way that Adam could not even enjoy paradise alone. And that ache is not a result of sin. It is a a result of the way in which God created us that we cannot enjoy life without good friends. Jesus needed friends. So how much more do we? How much more do we need close friends? You need close friends. The next thing is this. Proverbs tells us you need honest friends. (laughs) You need honest friends. You need close friends, and you need honest friends. A few weeks ago, I was over at the Tabernacle, and uh, we had an event, and everyone's at round tables. And so I was just doing what I do. I was just walking around and, and you know, seeing people and saying hi, trying to connect to to every table I possibly could. And I was talking to a table on the other side of the table. There was a guy who had just joined our church recently, and he said, "Hey, Pastor, come here." tell you something. I said, okay, I'll walk over there. And uh, he stood up and he put his arm around me. And immediately I thought, man, it's just, I don't know, something sweet about it. Like he's just, just kind of loving on me, you know? And he said, uh, pastor, love you. So glad that we're here at the church. And he kind of like was physically turning me a little bit away from the table. And he said, um, Hey, your fly's open. That's a good friend. Right there, we went from companions to friends right there. I don't know how long I'd been walking around, but none of the rest of you told me, thanks a lot. That new guy i just met. One friend out of everybody in there. Sometimes you need, you need that kind of honesty, but you know, sometimes you need even more honesty than that. You ever watched American Idol, and if they do those little human interest stories before the person sings, If the person says, the reason I'm here is because my mama always told me I can sing, you know they're going to be terrible. (laughs) Because they're setting you up by saying that. And they'll say, well, listen, I started singing when I was a kid. My mama just begged me to do this. And I didn't know, but I just, my mama told me, my mama told me. And then they're terrible. And then the judges tell them that they're not functioning in their anointing, right? Like, like, I'm sure there's an anointing of God on your life, but it's not singing. And then when they interview them, the person always says this, well they don't know what they're talking about. I love that. Like these three professional musicians don't know what they're talking about, but my mama, she knows that I can sing and I'm going to keep singing until someone believes. And praise God for a mama that tells us we're good at everything, right? Praise God. That's a mama's job. But that that poor sweet girl needed one friend to say your mama's wrong. I love you and I love your mama and thanks for all the meals I got at your house. Like, I love your mama, but she, she's wrong. You're terrible. <laughs> and sometimes you need even more honesty than that. Sometimes you need someone to look at you and tell you you're being a jerk. You need someone to tell you you're arrogant and the way you present yourself and talk is condescending need someone to say to you, the way you talk about your parents when they're not around is wrong. And the way you talk about your wife when she's not around is wrong. The way you talk about your husband when you're with your friends, it's wrong. Sometimes you need that kind of honesty. And God has given us a gift from him, possible through Christ alone, to help us to see the things that we don't see that no one else is going to tell us And it's not companions. It's the gift of honest friends. Listen to Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. Write that down. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. It says this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Better is open rebuke. You know what that word rebuke means? It means correction. It is a word in the Proverbs that is meant it's something that's painful and it's hard, but it's positive and essential and loving. The son needed to be rebuked by his father. Every child needs this rebuke by his parents. It is loving and the tone is helpful and it's essential to our lives. Matter of fact, the, sa- the Proverbs says the one who rejects this kind of rebu- rebuke, listen, destroys his own life. Who's giving you rebuke? Who is speaking corrective words into your life? Who is seeing the things that you don't see? It says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Look what it says. It says, the wounds of a friend. And the reason it says that is because it's true. This rebuke wounds you for a little bit. It hurts you for a little bit. It's hard for someone to tell you you're proud. It's hard for someone to tell you your fly's open. But it's even harder for them to tell you that you're arrogant and the way you speak is demeaning and they don't think you're walking with Jesus and they think you're making bad decisions and the friends you're hanging out with are not right. Those are even more woundful words, but it says this, that even though they're personal and painful and difficult to hear, faithful are the wounds of a friend. The motive there is not to harm, but to help. It is a loving desire for your good. And the reality is a companion should not do this to you. It's, it's not a companion's place to speak these kind of words in your life. It is the place of a good, close friend. An honest friend that says, I love you. And because I love you, I need to tell you something. And listen, if you're not willing to say that in the life of someone else, then you're not being a close, honest friend. It says in Proverbs 18, he who rebukes a man will find more favor than him who flatters. So we want flattery, but if we really want someone who's a blessing in our life, we want someone who rebukes and is honest. Proverbs 27, 9 says the sweetness of a friend is the one who gives wise and helpful counsel. The sweetness of a friend. The last few months we've been dealing with some Really significant and painful moral failures. In a church this size, there's all kinds of things that you would not be aware of or know about. These are really, really hard things. And they cause a lot of pain for the person, for the friends, for the family. I talk to men about the rippling effects of sin, that if you throw a pebble into a pond, ripples go out. And what someone doesn't understand is their sin has this massive rippling effect. So I can tell you about one person that sinned, and then I can tell you about 25 other people that I'm meeting with because they sinned. Well, when we talk about this as a staff, we bring this up just among our pastoral staff. The first question we tend to ask is this, who are their friends? Who are their friends? Because I'm not the, listen, your pastor is not your first responder to this. Your first responder is your community group. Your first responder is deacons. Your first responder is friends, your D group. But if you're not in any of those, there's no one there that's noticing what's going on in your life. What we've come to find out is when you find someone that's had what we call a moral fall, the reason is it's because A, they don't have anybody close to them or B, they don't have anybody honest enough to tell them what they see. And you know the reality is there's is no such thing as a moral fall? No one's just walking along and has a moral fall. People have moral drifts. The good news of that is that if you have good, close, honest friends, they will see you when you're drifting before you have a fall. This is the gift of good, close, and and honest friendships. Can I just say this as well? Part of that honesty from a friend is encouragement. Sometimes what we need from our friend is the honesty of affirmation and the honesty of blessing and the honesty of encouragement. Some of you are too proud and self-protective to give a rebuke, and some of you are too proud to give a blessing. We talked about this last week, but, but an honest friend affirms you, and an honest friend speaks life into you so much in Hebrews 10 and Hebrews chapter 3 about our desperate need for encouragement. And the word encouragement means to put courage into someone. So every one of us wake up every day defeated, feeling like we're not doing good about anything in our life. And you know what we need? We need some courage. And you know how we get it? When someone speaks it into us. And so part of being an honest friend is speaking life and blessing. This should be true of your marriage of all places. And so we give these words of affirmation, but we also willingly receive the rebuke. I've said this when I've taught about parenting before, that children need these rebukes, but with every rebuke, give three affirmations. You need friends, you need close friends, you need honest friends. Last of all, quickly, you need godly friends. You need friends that are wise, that walk with the Lord. The first conversation in Proverbs that we looked at months ago is a conversation between a father and a son. And if I can just paraphrase it for you for a minute, here's the conversation. Son, your friends are idiots. I know them. I've been around them. You've invited them over. They're idiots. I know their reputation. I know their dads. Their dads are idiots. Son, They're going to have a lot of fun. And they may make a lot of money. Like, I know they're doing fun stuff. I I know it's exciting. I know there's money there. I know there's promises there. But here's the deal. They're setting a trap for themselves. They will harm themselves and they will destroy your life. They're going to take you down. And only a parent can understand this feeling. The feeling that you get when you think that one of your kids is hanging around with a friend that is not a good friend. That is a terrifying feeling. Because what you know as a parent and what Proverbs knows is what is much more effective in your life than formal instruction is informal relationships. Much more. The greatest effect on your life will not be the formal teaching you receive at Prince Avenue or at school. It will be the people that you spend the most time with. And every parent knows this, that if you spend time with the wise, you become wise. If you spend time with a fool, you will become a fool. And so oftentimes what terrifies a parent is knowing that their kids are choosing the wrong friends. Let me tell you something, students. I want to speak this specifically into your life, but this is good for all of you. Students, I've realized that one one of the moments that God brings you to in life, often early, often 6th, 7th, 8th grade, maybe even 5th grade, is the moment where you have a decision to leave a friendship that's not a good friendship. And the hard thing is this friend is friends with everybody that's the the good people or or the popular people and they're doing stuff and you have to make a decision not to go with them and not to be their friends. And one of the most courageous and godly decisions a young person can make is the decision that I'm not going to go there, I'm not gonna do that and that's not gonna be my close friend because they don't pursue the Lord. And we're not judgmental or condescending. We plead with them to walk the Lord, with the Lord. But at some point, you just have to say, they're not gonna be my friend. And I have seen that one of the most courageous, bold things a kid can do is just say, I'm not gonna go there. And some of you adults are the same way. Because what we need is the influence of godly, faithful friends in our life. Proverbs thirteen twenty: whoever walks with the wise will be wise. Your growth in godliness will be determined much more by your friends than any type of instruction that you get. If you'll talk to any Christian counselor or a pastor, I could could affirm this to be true so many times over. But if you'll talk to any Christian counselor, what they'll say is this. They'll say, people come to see me often and they'll share with me what's going on. And I've had this happen so many times. And what they'll say is after I listened to what was going on in their life, what I realized is they didn't need a Christian counselor. They just needed a good, godly, honest friend. Everything they shared would be something they should have talked to a friend about, something a friend could have helped them with. And so they paid to go see a Christian counselor mostly because they didn't have a close, honest, godly friend. And a counselor loves to help. And I love to have conversations with you, but oftentimes the conversation you need is not with me or not with a counselor. You just need good, godly, honest friends speaking into your life, present with you, stable, faithful that you love and that are there for you. And the way in which you cultivate this is you just start being in the places where you can find these kind of friends. You get into a community group. I I, I told our last service, I said this, if our community group leaders teach like a halfway decent lesson, I'm t- like B minus, C plus, it's just like average, but you make good godly friends there, we have one. Because that's the purpose of that. You're going to come here and get like a B or B plus maybe. You don't need another one. You need Friends. I know about a group that right now, every single week, they're having people share their stories in class just so they can love one another better. And if you are not in a community group, if you're not in a D group, if you're not in a family group, if you're not in some context where you're making friends, then you're going against all sound judgment. It's selfish and ungodly and unhelpful. And then you need to start being a friend. I feel like one of the things that's gonna happen in this message is a lot of self-pity. Well, I don't have any friends and I wish I had friends and so-and-so will be my friend. Just start being a good friend. Start take existing relationships and make them into better relationships by asking questions that aren't about you but are about them. How can I pray for you? Is there anything you wanna talk about? Don't be weird. Don't ask somebody to be your best friend. Just start asking questions. Some of you are going to lose your friend right there. Like you had one chance of getting a friend. Now he's scared. (laughs) What if you take a friend that you've had and he's not a close friend, but you want him to be a close friend and you just say, how can I pray for you this week? What can I do to encourage you? Is there anything you see in my life that you think is hindering me from being the person God wants you to be? You start being a friend and God will bless you with friends. In order for that to happen, what God has to do is he has to take every wall that we've built up. We build all of these walls of self-protection. We don't want to know or we don't want to be known. Or walls of laziness or walls of shame or walls of hurt and bitterness from the past. And it is all of those walls that make us isolated. And what we do not realize is those walls are not protecting you. Those walls are destroying you. So we ask by God's grace that he would take down those walls that you might experience good, close, godly, honest friends for your benefit and for his glory. Aspire heads and close your eyes. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.